Hello and welcome to Physician Interrupted. I am Dr. Kernan Manya. Our topic today is, can getting help hurt? Getting help, and here I mean of the mental health care sort, otherwise known as counseling or psychotherapy, or just therapy for short, is a good thing. Yes, it can be a bit uncomfortable navigating through the thorny psychological terrain, and maybe even more so getting to know your less than stellar self. But I'm not referring to that kind of hurt. I'm focusing on a type of harm that could come to a physician's career just from going to see a professional to work on mental health type issues. Now, I certainly don't want to scare people away from doing their psychological work. I really believe in it. Not only am I a board-certified psychiatrist, I myself was in a long-term intensive therapy for almost seven years. At that, four times a week. You don't even have to say it. I can already read your mind. What? Are you crazy? And guess what? It really was helpful. In this piece, I'm especially thinking about the challenges my physician colleagues uniquely face in accessing quality, compassionate, trustworthy mental health care. Already bombarded with burnout, PTSD, and moral injury, I'm worried that they could be further hurt by covert governmental intrusion into a therapeutic process that they should have had every reason to trust. Therapy relies on trust, and our oath of confidentiality solidifies trust. Therapy is ultimately about helping you make sense of yourself and having a trusted and knowledgeable guide in the psychological territory who's there exclusively in your interest to facilitate that discovery and healing process. So much of therapy's efficacy depends on your trust in the guide you have on this journey. Opening up to someone about your deepest feelings requires immense trust. Trust that they know what they're doing. Trust that they can help you and genuinely care about your well-being. Trust that when you open up and share and permit yourself to be vulnerable and to feel that what you speak about in that office, your nagging fears, your failings and feelings of shame, your hurt and anger, and your deep river of sadnesses will never be revealed to anyone. But how confidential is therapy? When we began using health insurance to pay for mental health sessions, those companies felt, validly or not, that they had a right to determine whether the services were needed and if they were really being helpful. Now, some would say that's pretty intrusive, and I used to bristle at it myself, but I came to realize that with appropriate guidelines, it makes practical sense. The Slippery Slope of Compulsory Disclosure But this is where things start to get slippery. What happens when they start getting too nosy and want to know what your client talked about? Now, for your information, by the way, most mental health clinicians refer to those seeking services as clients. Psychiatrists tend to refer to their service recipients as patients. And in this piece, I'm going to be using them interchangeably. What happens if the company says to the therapist, our review person, or team even, 
needs to look at all your notes. And if you don't give them to us, we're not going to pay for future services. And not only that, we're not going to, we're going to take back all the money we already paid you. Yow. So dutifully believing you're doing what you're required to do in order to remain on their quote-unquote preferred provider panel, you produce all the notes justifying your many 45-minute sessions. And yes, your notes contain some intimate details. Names, events, tawdry scenes, what was said, how your client felt. Do they have the right to demand access to such detailed notes? Hmm, I suspect not, even if it might have been craftily threaded into your preferred provider contract. Eventually, the court saw the danger in that and said all you had to produce to a third-party payer was the diagnosis and the time-based session note codes. That is just, just the code itself. And of course, the payer was required under HIPAA to honor strictest confidentiality, even of that very limited data set, namely the diagnosis code and the procedure code. Then here come the lawyers. Well, fine enough with regard to the insurance companies. But then lawyers start demanding your records, specifically your progress notes. And they generally represent a party in a dispute with your client say, an aggrieved spouse seeking custody. And they're trying to find out what your client actually said about your client's spouse and whether your patient, your client, was ever unfaithful and whether they've ever been depressed before and are they on medications and for what conditions. In other words, your private record of confidential notes is being prepared as a weapon against your client. And while your client came to you for confidential help, and you swore by your professional oath to offer exactly that, such revelation of utmost confidential information could not only irreparably harm your client, it could destroy the therapeutic relationship you have with that client. And yet, the payer says they have the right, and the lawyer says she or he has the right, and even backs it up with a demand for your record in the form of a subpoena, literally comply under penalty. Gulp. Well, what's a good therapist to do? Do you comply? Truth be told, it really is tricky territory, and I'm not a lawyer. You need to know exactly what the law says, and specifically what your duties are regarding protecting your client's confidences. Do you have to produce the record demanded? No, not necessarily. But you do have to respond to that subpoena and indicate your stance and whether you'll submit the requested records or portions of them or whether you object on certain grounds. And you should always consult with your client about what you're being asked to produce and whether you have their permission to release that and document that discussion and their, and your, concerns. In matters like this, it's always advisable to get specific guidance from an attorney. But this is not meant to be a legal treatise on what you should or shouldn't do. Rather, this is about the principle of the therapist's profession and the exquisitely vulnerable nature of seeking help for psychological conditions. 
and why this is particularly treacherous for physicians. And then the state requires you to breach confidentiality. Now, over time, society, through its judicial and its legislative system, has determined, and I would say entirely appropriately, that there are certain, thankfully rare, circumstances in which the public good, people's safety, overrules the otherwise sacrosanct confidentiality of the therapist's office. And so there are special circumstances where a therapist is required to report to some governmental entity or even a potential private party actions that have been disclosed that you have strong reason to believe might cause a vulnerable person or an innocent citizen imminent harm. Such circumstances include child and elder abuse and identified threat of harm by your patient to another named party. Now, of course, government can't willy-nilly declare a mandatory reporting parameter. For example, report all left-handed people or people who say they have evidence of a disturbing corporate or governmental wrongdoing. When a government makes a law, it also has to weigh all the other rights guaranteed by both the Constitution and subsequent laws that have been enacted. Well, you would hope they'd take that tiny extra step. And as we'll see in Delaware's safe harbor law, that must have been a bit too much to ask. As you can imagine, this issue of who determines what a therapist or, for that matter, any healthcare provider is mandated to report to some governmental agency, and I say mandated to report, can get really problematic when this or that exception is made by a legislature influenced by lobbyists and by political and the cultural climate. As one example, which I'm reasonably certain will soon become prominent, what if a patient in an extreme right-to-life state tells you she's planning on having an abortion? And what if that state mandated your reporting that to the Justice Department? We'll not go down that path right now, but consider that there is an increasing risk that therapists can become tools of the state and be transformed from trustworthy confidants and beneficent psychological health care providers into secret state agents, and turning the entire mental health profession into a virtual Gestapo. And that very transformation essentially destroys the identity of an entire profession. This is exactly what happened and is probably re-emergent right now in Russia, Can you imagine telling a therapist in Moscow that you are repulsed by Putin's war and its human rights violations? Who are you as a therapist, and what do you stand for? So consider your role here for a moment, speaking here to therapists. You're the equivalent of a spiritual confessor. What is said in the confessional stays in the confessional. That is the time-honored ethical obligation of the confessor, and civil society and the courts have respected that. In a way, you're also like a journalist who's been given ultra-sensitive information, and you were only provided that information on sworn secrecy under legally protected journalist privilege. 
What if an authority presses you for it? As you've surely discovered, honorable journalists have been badly roughed up and then sent to prison for not revealing their source. That's the oath they take. And it takes tremendous courage to live your values. The same devotion to the duty of confidentiality applies to a therapist. A client's confidences must be held sacrosanct. After all, the mental health profession is built on the twin principles of trust and beneficence. In essence, my oath as a mental health clinician informs me that I'm here to use my knowledge and skills to do the best to help you, the client, the patient, and not hurt you. And I create this safe space for you and for both of us in this encounter that is protected from intrusion. And I offer you my word that I will not reveal your deeply held thoughts and feelings and the events of your life that you've shared with me. That's really what the oath is saying. The duty to uphold your client's confidences. Perhaps the most important theme here is that as a therapist, you have not just a right, but a duty to uphold that client's confidences to the best of your ability. And the reason you uphold that duty is not just to protect this immediate client's privacy, but on behalf of the bedrock principle of confidentiality, of this utmost sensitive psychological health information as one of the foundational principles of the entire mental health profession. What I and many others in the mental health profession have seen is a progressive erosion of those principles and an almost reflexive catering to any demand for production of records that seems legitimate. Seems legitimate. Knock, knock on your door. Hello, I'm a board investigator and I demand all of your client Dr. Jones's records. And too often the reflexive response is, oh, okay, says the knife therapist. Let me just print it out for you right now. I've spoken in depth with over 500 physicians over the past decade about critically important physicians' rights issues. And confidentiality of their utmost private mental health issues, known in various statutes as protected health information, or PHI, is an exquisite concern. In fact, it's so up there in importance that many physicians are afraid of getting help for this very reason of unprotected invasion of privacy and violation of confidentiality. But why are physicians at higher risk? And why are they so afraid? Is it just the violation of confidentiality? You see, as a result of what is shared in that confidential therapeutic setting, no matter how ordinary and entirely non-limiting the diagnosis may be, for example, a depressive or an anxiety disorder or attention deficit disorder, when that is disclosed on demand to a quasi-governmental administrative agency, such as the generally non-overseen state medical board, that physician-client may be forced to have a mental evaluation by the board's exclusively contracted Physician Health Program, or PHP, which conducts its own due process-deprived screening evaluation. And simply as a result of that, that physician can be harmfully compelled 
with no clinical justification or anything comparable in the professional practice world to submit to a so-called fitness-for-duty evaluation conducted by that PHP's specially selected non-neutral evaluators out of state at a cost of six to $10,000 for a four-day assessment facilitated by polygraph interrogation. Yes, 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 polygraph interrogation in an environment also thoroughly deprived of due process. And there is an interesting footnote that I'd like to refer you to on the written article. So if you're interested in following up on that, you can track down the article to which this is linked. What they are compelled to share in this dystopian facade of a therapeutic evaluation may then be used against them to deprive them of their civil and human rights. The board may even make its incontestable diagnostic pronouncements public, subjecting them to ostracization and humiliation. Can you imagine the impact of that? They could even be made to cease practice immediately and be put on leave from their hospital employment. And they won't be able to return to work until the matter is cleared up. And that means being compliant with everything the PHP unilaterally demands. Objecting to the PHP demands only means a prolonged absence from work. Absence from one's appointment at a hospital for more than 30 days can result in an automatic reporting to the National Practitioner Data Bank, raising red flags for any future employment anywhere in the United States and virtually the world. And that absence of 30 days is reported to your state medical board. The legal proceedings in trying to extract oneself from this nightmare can go on for years and cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. This entire Kafkaesque process begs for federal scrutiny. So getting help confidentially here and the unrecognized dangers of special mental health safe harbors for physicians is a particular focus. And for background on this safe harbor law and Delaware's in particular, Check out the piece that I wrote earlier and to which I've linked in the article. So this issue becomes even more urgent as we examine a crop of remarkably similar emerging laws that uniquely pose great jeopardy to physicians who are seeking mental health help, ironically, under these laws' safe harbor provisions. Now, as you can gather, I'm not just interested in this issue, as though it were some theoretical quandary for a retired shrink to ponder. In fact, I'm as deeply disturbed about this particular type of invasion of deeply personal privacy, its brash and sadistic psychological assaultiveness, and its indifferent abuse of the beneficent therapeutic process, as I am about the irreparable career damage it causes. And I've seen firsthand the permanent harm that can come when the sanctity of one's private psychic space is violated. There's so much more to cover, not only on this critically important confidentiality issue, but its relationship to a tangled matrix of hugely thorny issues like forced mental exams 
bordered on anonymous concerns and forced treatment, forced treatment, by a government-sanctioned provider at career gunpoint, diagnosing the potential for impairment and killing the careers of those who protest. Infallible and incontestable state psychiatric fitness-for-duty diagnoses and their pronounced dire prognoses, namely, oh my God, you'll never be able to work again, oh, they're so ill, these future predictions of impairment, severity, and capacity to function. Crowd-shaming via a board making public charges for what? Having an illness? Or maybe even just an alleged one? Or maybe even just potentially having one. The absence of fairness and integrity in such medicalized ensnarements. Years, years of trying to disentangle oneself. And the critical need for a medical due process provision when subjected to state medical board-ordered mental or fitness-for-duty exams. By the way, this concept of due process is really a legal concept. So once you remove it into the medical realm, there's no such concept as due process. And the disturbing trend of board and PHP mandatory referrals, referrals, quote-unquote, to private, for-profit rehabilitation gulags, all done with state wink-wink complicity. Oh, Lordy, it is a nightmare. And yes, serious concerns, and this is weighty stuff, yes, 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 and you want to pull away from it. And it's really important for us to take a close look and to do something. It's an interesting phenomenon, isn't it, that unless we're in the immediately affected zone of harm, we're inclined to zone out. And there's so much weighty stuff going on in the world. We do it with climate, environment, nuclear war concerns, homelessness, poverty, racism, you name it. We shut down too long in any of it. And you just want to jump to a distraction like playing mind-numbing games on your iPhone or newly taking up serious substance abuse just to block out this dystopian nightmare. And that's all a normal response to overwhelm. The natural psychological reactions to overwhelm are shutdown and avoidance. But especially if you're somebody who's actually caught in this quagmire or somebody who's otherwise involved in this overall domain of concern, I encourage you, resist that temptation to pull away. And likewise, you listeners, readers, if you're someone who's just concerned about physicians' well-being, please don't pull away. This is weighty stuff, but it needs our attention. What if we could mentally prepare ourselves when we enter into something difficult, like the environment, or like nuclear war concerned, or like this? And we'd say, yes, it's weighty, but it's what we've got to attend to. Okay, it's something that we really need to focus on, and therefore we prepare ourselves for the difficult task ahead. And what if we use our smarts to dig in to this tangled mess? and figure out how to stop this craziness instead of shutting down and avoiding like we're, we're inclined to do. And what if we could actually have a decent time doing it? In other words, it's not all pain. And what if we could make the world a better place for having done it? That's what I'm proposing to do over the next several pieces, and that's what I think we can do together. One thing's for sure. 
Staying uninformed and feeling powerless and overwhelmed isn't going to change anything, nor is staying under the influence or spending the rest of your life taking selfies and sharing them on Facebook. Only finely tuned understanding of these challenges, deeply felt concern, and determination to make change happen will. That's the only thing that makes change happen. And I'm convinced beneficial change is indeed possible. Why? Because it has to be. The present situation is untenable. So stay tuned for some deep dives. And that includes into some very unsafe harbors. And stay tuned also for some explosive paradigm-shifting approaches that could bring this Kafkaesque craziness to a halt. And be sure to get involved in the discussion via the comment section below, okay? And a reminder, by the way, I'm not a lawyer. Even though I'm getting pretty familiar with some of these obscure legal issues like ADA, the American with Disabilities Act, HIPAA, the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, 42 CFR Part 2. Imagine, who reads this stuff? I'm not a JD. And anything I write that might touch on a legal issue is neither a quote-unquote legal opinion nor quote-unquote legal advice. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't have opinions on legal issues. It just means that if you take any course of action in a legal matter that I've opined on, thinking that it may finally get you your day in court, you need to realize that you're more likely to leave that court in an orange jumpsuit. (laughs) So in life and death matters, like defending your career and taking on the powers that be, especially if they are armed, it is always advisable to get utmost knowledgeable counsel. And uh, good luck with that. That concludes our Physician Interrupted podcast entitled, Can Getting Help Hurt? Thanks so much for listening. By the way, did you know you can download the Substack app on your so-called smartphone? I can vouch for how flawless it is. It lets you subscribe to Physician Interrupted, and every time we have an article or podcast, it's there waiting for you and your favorite subscriptions. And you get the newsletter emailed to you, so you can read it directly in your email program. And, of course, there's a host of other fine authors that you can access at the flick of a click. And one more thing. If you liked the podcast, be sure to click the heart button. And don't be shy. Make a comment if it moved you in some way and you want to be part of the dialogue. And as we're still in the early stages, not a lot of people know what Physician Interrupted focuses on. And there's a bunch who would really benefit from some of the topics we cover. So feel free to share. Encourage your friends and colleagues to sign up. It's free. No junk mail. Critically important issues you won't hear anywhere else. Maybe even some guidance that could save somebody's career. Again, many thanks. Stay well. Be kind. Speak your truth. Live your values. And take good care of yourself. Till next time, I'm Dr. Kernan Mannion, and you've been listening to Physician Interrupted.